Hi everybody, my name is Roy and I'm part of our church in West Lafayette, Indiana. For the next two weeks, we're going to look at the life of Joseph, the last main character in the book of Genesis. Now you'll remember way back in Genesis 12, that hinge moment of human history. God comes to Abraham and says, Go to a land I will show you and I will bless you and make you and your descendants into a blessing for the whole world. And so he went, and that promise of blessing passed down from Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob. And today we're going to see how God fulfills his promise to make Abraham's kids into a great nation through Jacob's sons, and in particular, through his son Joseph. Now we've got a lot of ground to cover though, so I'm going to try to summarize some of the background. And we're going to pick up at a point in Jacob's life when he's already got kind of a huge family. Through his two wives, Leah and Rachel, he now has 12 sons. But it's very clear that just like he favored Rachel over Leah, he also favored his son Joseph, who was Rachel's firstborn, over all his other sons, leading to, well, a lot of resentment, envy, and hatred. So it's a very big but very dysfunctional family that God is somehow going to turn into a great nation. Picking up from Genesis chapter 37. Jacob lived in the land of his father sojourning in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons, because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. So this is the famous passage about Joseph, and if you grew up going to Sunday school and reading children's Bibles, you always knew which one in the picture was Joseph, because he's the guy who looks like a walking box of lucky charms. Now the word that they translate, a robe of many colors, actually just means fancy long sleeve robe. So Joseph must have looked pretty distinguished next to the short sleeve work shirts that his older brothers probably wore as shepherds. Now, by giving Joseph this special robe, Jacob was basically making it very clear that Joseph was his favorite son, maybe even treated him like he would one day be the heir to get the, all the rights of the firstborn, even though out of 12 sons, he was born like second to last. So these bros don't exactly get along. We don't know what the other brothers were doing one day, but Joseph kind of had a problem with them, so he told on them to his dad, and he was wearing that special robe all the time. It just adds to the tension. And this family is just like a bomb waiting to explode. And as it turns out, what lights the fuse on this bomb is Joseph begins to get some very strange dreams. Genesis 37, picking up at verse 5. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in a field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us, or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and his words. Later on, he gets yet another dream with basically the same message back to back, and I guess you might fault him for being a little clueless or naive because he tells that to his brothers too like hey guys I had another, another dream of all of you guys bowing down to me go figure so of course hearing about these dreams his brothers just they've had enough and they're ready to get rid of this guy once and for all but from Joseph's perspective I, I think he's starting to get a clue that something strange something big is about to happen 
because you see his uh, great-great-grandfather had these kind of dreams uh, this, uh, as did his grandfather Isaac and his father Jacob they all had dreams of promises and blessings visions of some sort of amazing future these dreams sort of run in a family which makes sense because the other thing that runs in this family is God's presence and God's blessing so if you're tracking along with the story you sort of expect something awesome to happen to Joseph next but what you get instead is something pretty awful so one day all the other brothers are out herding their sheep a few towns over so Jacob kind of sends Joseph out to well kind of check on them and picking up in verse 18 they saw him from afar and before he came near to them they conspired to, against him to kill him they said to one another here comes that dreamer come now let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him and we will see what will become of his dreams so when Joseph came to his brothers they stripped him of his robe the robe of many colors that he wore and they took him and threw him into a pit the pit was empty there was no water in it then they sat down to eat and looking up they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum balm and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt then Judah said to his brothers what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood come let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him for he is our brother our own flesh and his brothers listened to him then Midianite traders passed by and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver they took Joseph to Egypt so it's really ironic but the first thing ha that happens after Joseph has these wonderful dreams is like the exact opposite of what he was dreaming about far from ruling over his brothers they almost kill him and he ends up sold as a slave far away from home now the brothers did this to make sure that these ridiculous dreams don't ever come true it reminds me though of what a wise turtle once said in Kung Fu Panda that one often meets his destiny on the road he takes to avoid it now continuing on Joseph ends up serving a guy named Potiphar who's sort of a big shot in Pharaoh's court it says in Genesis 39 the Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man and he was in the house of his Egyptian master his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands so Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him and he made him overseer over his house and put him in charge of all that he had from the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had the Lord blessed the Egyptians house for Joseph's sake the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field so he left all that he had in Joseph's charge and because of him he had no concern about anything but the food he ate so finally things are really looking up for Joseph he's got a good boss and a pretty decent job twice it says the Lord was with him and blessed him and basically anything that he touched but of course just as things were looking good disaster strikes now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance and after a time his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said lie with me but he refused and said to his master's wife behold because of me my master has no concern about anything in the house and he has put everything that he has in my charge he's not greater in this house than I am nor has he kept back anything from me except you because you are his wife how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God and as she spoke to Joseph day after day 
he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day when he went into the, his, the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house were there in the house, she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. Now after this, Potiphar's wife makes up a story about jo how Joseph was trying to attack her, and Potiphar actually believes her and throws Joseph into jail. So as quickly as he rose, Joseph fell even further, and he didn't even do anything wrong. In fact, he was trying to honor God, but he ends up worse than a slave. Now he's a prisoner in an Egyptian dungeon. Now before we talk about Joseph's many changes of fortune, I think this story really invites us to look at the snapshot of Joseph's character. Now he had risen to become basically like the CEO of a pretty large estate. For a slave, he kind of had a lot of power. And as a good-looking guy, he could have had sex, too. But he turns down one, and he loses the other. He rejects this woman's advances and tries to avoid her day after day. And when she catches him off guard, he literally runs away. So what really stands out here is Joseph's character, his integrity. You know, the word integrity has the idea of wholeness, like an integer. Joseph is a whole person. He's the same in every aspect of his life. He acts the same way no matter what situation he's in or who's watching. That's integrity. Who are you when nobody is watching? For Joseph, he's the same person. And I think we can talk a lot about the value of integrity, of not living like this compartmentalized life where I'm one way with my Christian friends at church, but then when I'm with other people, then I sort of become somebody else. I think we can also say a lot about sexual purity, about how the Bible is very clear. We should flee sexual temptation just as Joseph did. But I think a lot of us kind of know that stuff already, or at least we know that sexual immorality is bad. So the problem is, how do we carry it out? How do we live out what we know to be true in the moment of temptation? How do we become people of integrity to be the same person even when nobody's watching? Now, I think Joseph's response to Potiphar's wife is very helpful. He says to her, How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So he gives his reason for turning her down. It's not just because, well, sleeping with her would be wrong against Potiphar's good master. He says, doing this would be wrong against God. How could I sin against God? Or to put it another way, if you ask Joseph, Hey, who are you when nobody's watching? I think Joseph might be a little confused. He might say, I don't think that matters because, well, God's always watching. God's always with me. I remember listening to somebody share about how as a young Christian, he was really struggling with internet pornography and he was asking his spiritual mentor, how do you do it? How do you resist that temptation when it feels so strong and, and nobody's watching and I know with a few clicks I can get what I want, nobody will ever know. He was asking, how do I find the strength when I'm all alone? And he says he remembers his mentor turned to him and said, But you are never alone. You are never alone. The moment you became a Christian, when you opened the door of your heart to Jesus, he came in and he never left. For me, I have not been alone since April 27, 2001. Now, there have been many, many times where I wished I was alone when I really wanted to tell God, Hey, could you please just step outside for five minutes while I do this thing? But you know what? I've never been alone. It's summertime now. Some of you might be watching this at church in a watch party with other people. Some of you might be watching at home. 
but wherever you are, you are never alone. And if you actually believe that, you can become a person of integrity like Joseph. Because integrity is not something that like Joseph had or some people have a lot of it, other people you know, don't, don't have as much. No, because what Joseph had, what drove Joseph to be faithful was exactly the same thing that all Christians have. We have God's presence. Like Joseph, we are never alone. That thing that Joseph says, you know, he says, if I did this, that would be the sin against God. He didn't say that this would be sinning against Potiphar, which it would be for sure. But he says that would be sinning against God. And the longer I live, the more I see that this is really hard for us to grasp, that when it comes to sin in the Bible, it's not just like moral transgression. It's not just breaking the rules, hurting other people. Sin is ultimately rejecting God. And that's what giving into sexual temptation would have meant for Joseph. Like here he is, a man who has received God's covenantal promises. He knows he's got certain duties to this holy God who has been so faithful to him. So for Joseph, it's not just about like, oh, not breaking the rules. It's about, I'd be breaking faith with God who's so committed to me. And he understands what I do affects my relationship with God. He knows with one choice, he could throw it all away like his uncle Esau did, to sell it all out for a bowl of stew. With one choice, he could say, forget God. What good are promises in the future? I want to have this woman, this money, this power now. But that would be to sin against God. And you know what? Sin doesn't even have to be like this conscious rebellion against God. Maybe to God, the most hurtful thing is when we're not thinking about him at all. When we're just so obsessed only with how can I satisfy my cravings and my desires with the things that I can do right now. That self-centered disregard might be the most hurtful rejection for a loving God. But for Joseph, God's always on his mind, on his heart. He knows he's never alone. I think that's how Joseph could be such a man of integrity to be the same faithful person whatever situation he's in. So Joseph... He knows God's with him, and he chooses to stick with God, to flee from sexual immorality, and what happens? Does God bless Joseph and strike the woman dead? No. Uh, like I mentioned, Joseph ends up falling even lower. So what does that mean well, when the Bible says God is with you? God was with Joseph, and yet this happened. We know that it does not mean everything goes according to your plan. God is with you, which means he's going to help you through whatever situation you face, but not necessarily take you out of it. In fact, Jesus pretty much promises us that if we follow him, we're going to face some hardships, some difficulties. And, that, and that's part of what it means to be his disciple. Now, when I was a young Christian, one of the evangelists I really look up to, he came to our church and he was sharing his testimony. He says, you know what? Some people say, they, they think, hey, when you become a Christian, Jesus is going to solve all your problems. But for me, all my problems started after I became a Christian. I didn't have any problems in life before because I just did whatever I wanted. But all my troubles, all my struggles began after I said, I'm going to make Jesus my Lord. And when I heard that, I was like, that's so true. That was true to my experience that following Jesus led to a lot of struggles, a lot of difficulties, a lot of temptations, situations I didn't want to be in. So how can you tell when God is with you, are you going to judge that based on situations and circumstances or feelings? 
For Joseph, he knew God was with him. Whether he was living the high life in Potiphar's house or rotting away in an Egyptian dungeon cell. For Joseph, the circumstances did not dictate or control whether God was present in the situation or whether he was going to believe that God was there. That's how the chapter ends, that God was with him. Genesis 39:21 says, The Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. When you think about it, that's kind of ironic too. Sure, God loved him, gave him favor, but he's still rotting away in an Egyptian dungeon. Now, are these two statements contradictory? I think we all know in our head it's not like theoretically contradictory, but it at least probably feels a little inconsistent. Maybe that's another thing we can learn from Joseph, that to him, his circumstances, high or low, doesn't change whether or not God is around. He doesn't use his fortunes as a measure of God's favor. For Joseph, God is with him no matter what happens. And he, for one, is going to act like that's true. Let's say one day you wake up a little late. You miss your devotions with your friends, your small group. You show up to class and you bomb this midterm. And on top of all that, you get a parking ticket on the way home. The next day, you wake up early. You go on a prayer walk. You get your history paper back. It's an A+. And then that guy or that girl you have a crush on, they glance at you for half a second longer when you pass by each other after Bible study. Now, is God with you on one of those days, but not the other? In the spring of 2010, I was a successful lawyer with a downtown San Francisco window office, engaged to marry the love of my life. But by that fall, I had found myself in the Midwest, unemployed, in debt, during the Great Recession, with a newlywed wife and a child on the way trying to make ends meet by cashing government unemployment checks. And that happened not because I got fired, but because right after I got promoted, I quit my attorney job to help plant a church. So was God with me in the spring and gone by the fall? I think we know the right answer to that question, but you know, I'll be the first to confess because I'm not spiritual like Joseph that sometimes it did feel like God left me. Sometimes I did feel bitter, resentful. But you know what? Those feelings helped me see that the problem was not God, but me and my unspoken and frankly unbiblical expectation that if God is with me, that he better work out his plans my way. Now, it's kind of a long story how God led me to repent during that period of my life. I don't have time to go into all of it, but that story is still really precious to me. It's something I, I go back to just between me and God. Because looking back, I understand now. God had me exactly where he wanted me, where I needed to be to help me learn this lesson that Joseph already knew. God is always with us, just like he was with Joseph. But the real question we ought to ask in times of trial and temptation is, are we going to stay with God? Are you going to say, God is here, God is watching, so there are some things I'm just not going to do, even if I won't get caught? Or are there some things you, you're saying, I am going to do that for God, because God is watching, even if nobody else sees. Like, I'm going to do this just for Him. And even if honoring God stirs up the ire of my parents or the mockery of my friends, I'm going to stay faithful because that's what it means to live with God's presence in mind. 
in the next chapter we find Joseph in jail but because God is with him he becomes kind of the chief warden of the prison and one day a couple of Pharaoh's high officials you know they, they get tossed in and uh, their titles are the chief cupper and the chief baker which sounds like they're like domestic servants but these are actually ancient cabinet level positions but they somehow offended the king and now they're in jail with Joseph in charge picking up in Genesis chapter 40 and one night they both dreamed the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt who were confined in the prison each his own dream and each dream with its own interpretation when Joseph came to them in the morning he saw that they were troubled so he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house why are your faces downcast today they said to him we have had dreams and there is no one to interpret them and Joseph said to them do not interpretations belong to God please tell them to me they tell him their dreams he interprets them tells them the future and everything happens exactly the way that he explained but I want to note is going back to verses 6 and 7 you know imagine this Joseph wakes up he gets ready for work another day at work in jail and as he's checking up on the prisoners you know sitting in the dim shafts of life light coming through the cell windows he senses that there's two people whose faces are downcast. Now, if you were rotting in an ancient Egyptian jail cell, it's like, whose face is not downcast, right? But that means Joseph was somehow able to tell that today these two people in particular are a little bit more down than usual and that something must have happened the night before. How was Joseph able to detect that, to figure that out? I don't know. But I do know that this means Joseph was not absorbed with himself. He's sitting in an Egyptian prison, but he's not full of self-pity, bitterness, resentment, or despair. On the contrary, he's filled with empathy and concern for other people, even though they're in exactly the same situation as him. How is that possible? I think it's possible for a man of faith, a man whose sense of self and purpose is rooted in an unchanging truth of God's presence. Faith, another word for faith or faithfulness is constancy. It's kind of an old school word, but I like how it's from the word constant, to be the same no matter what happens. And Joseph was constant in good times and in bad because his relationship with God was constant. And no matter where he was and how he might be feeling, he knows God is with him. So he's gonna stick with God and living God's ways. Our culture indoctrinates us to be true to our emotions and then we turn around and we're surprised to find an epidemic of insecurity, anxiety, depression, loneliness. A world full of people who are downcast and troubled. What we really need are more people like Joseph, people who are constant and faithful, a source of strength and blessing to others because they've learned to be like Joseph, to be grounded in the unchanging reality of a faithful God. Now there's a lot more to explore in Joseph's life and we're gonna look at some of that next week, but for today I'm gonna jump ahead to the end. A couple of years later, the guy that Joseph helps out eventually tells Pharaoh about Joseph when Pharaoh himself suddenly has two strange dreams. So Joseph gets whisked out of jail to interpret Pharaoh's dreams and Pharaoh is so impressed with his wisdom that he makes Joseph the prime minister of all Egypt on the spot. Joseph ends up guiding the whole nation through a seven-year famine, saving hundreds of thousands of lives and Joseph's whole family 
they end up coming to Egypt and live in abundance with Pharaoh's blessing, thus fulfilling God's promise to Abraham to make his descendants into a great nation. Now, when you look at Joseph's life, with all its ups and downs, in the end, it turns out that God used all of it to make Joseph into a huge source of salvation, not only for the covenant people of God, fulfilling God's promise of blessing, but saving a lot of other people along the way as well. And we see that God doesn't, he doesn't cause suffering, just like he didn't want Joseph's brothers to sell him to slave traders. But God can redeem suffering for a greater good. Just ask Joseph. You know, after many years in Egypt, near the end of his life story, Joseph's brothers come to him one day and they beg him for forgiveness, afraid that he will somehow, like, one day just hate on them and take vengeance on them for what they had done to him. Uh, but in Genesis 50, it says, Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. After all he's experienced, Joseph is convinced that God redeems evil for good. And you know what? God doesn't just do this from a distance for like other people. It turns out the God of the Bible comes into our world to experience the greatest evil and redeem it himself. Joseph was not the only favored son to be betrayed by his brothers because that's exactly what happened to Jesus. He was the beloved son rejected by his people, sold for the price of a slave, stripped naked, and left to die while crying out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The one who suffered the greatest injustice was the Son of God himself. And yet the Bible says all this, Jesus' crucifixion, it was not some unforeseen disaster, but that it happened by God's definite plan and foreknowledge. And God worked through human evil to bring about salvation for all mankind. So if you're going through some hard times, I hope you can find some encouragement in Joseph's story. Could it be that God could redeem what you are going through right now, or what you had experienced before, that even if others meant evil for you, God could turn it for good. The testimony of Joseph's life is that God is present, is sovereign over your life. So we don't need to keep asking, where is God? Why is this happening to me? From Joseph's perspective, we can see that God is still with us. The real question is, are we willing to stick with God? The question we need to ask is, whatever situation I'm in, how can I be faithful to God so that He can use me to bless others. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this look at the life of Joseph and how through it we see, despite the ups and downs, you were with him all the way, that you remained unconditionally committed to him, to fulfilling your covenant promises, uh, to uh, lavishing your chesed love on him, even though sometimes the circumstances uh, didn't seem that way. Uh, help us to learn that lesson from Joseph's life that Joseph himself testified, that even if bad things happen to us and others meant it for evil, that you mean it for good, that you mean it for blessing, not only through us to other people, but for ourselves as well. Help us uh, to grow in constancy and faithfulness in this sense of uh, your sovereignty and your presence with us, uh, your love that you proved unconditionally by sending your son to 
die on the cross for our sins so that we can know for sure nothing can separate us from you. And building our lives on that truth help us to uh, struggle to answer that question of whether or not we are going to stay faithful to you and how can we honor you um, in our lives, in our situation today. Please help us continue to wrestle with these ideas, to live it out, and to continue to learn from the life of Joseph. Uh, we pray all this in the name of Jesus.